and welcome to a special edition of our show, Herstory on the Rocks with Katie and Allie. Normally just be Allie and I hanging out with a couple of cocktails, talking about famous women in history, but sometimes we like to talk about the people who are writing about history, or in this case, making a documentary about a woman in history. <laughs> we have a very special guest here with us today, Nicole Noonan. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. We're so excited to have you. Nicole is an Oscar-nominated documentary film producer, writer, and director, best known for her 2020 film, Crip Camp. But she's here with us today to talk about her latest documentary, The Disappearance of Cher Heights. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I've been a documentary filmmaker. I can't believe this, but I, um, I got out of graduate school and started working in the field of documentary 30 years ago. Um, and I live in Berkeley and I have two teenage sons and, um, and now they've been through the process of having their mom go to Sundance with the film about, um, female sexuality and the clitoris. So it's been <laughs> yeah but I, I you know I especially love historical documentaries um not all of my films have been about history but most of them have been and and I have a real soft spot for it I actually uh, majored in history in college and um and I've always had a real passion for finding stories out of American history that I think people really need to know and that I think really resonate with the moment that we're in right now Mm, yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, and we're so excited to talk about your new film. But first, we have to introduce the cocktail we made in honor of you and Cher. <laughs> so, oh, great. This is called The Hype Report. And since this largely play takes place in the 70s and 80s, I wanted to tailor it after a cocktail of the era. And I figured this one suits it well, too, because I based it on a sex on the beach. And Cher's work obviously focuses on men misunderstanding uh, female pleasure. And I figured sex on the beach is one of those things that everyone thinks women want, but we don't, uh, it's <laughs> terrible. Um, <laughs> so I twisted it up a little bit though. It is peach schnapps, coconut rum, maraschino cherry juice, pineapple juice, and you top the whole thing off with champagne. So cheers. <laughs> so cheers. cheers. <laughs> that does look very share. Oh, it's beautiful. Cool. It's the color of her hair. It turned out exactly the color of her hair. It's uh -huh. perfect. <laughs> it's, true. it's true. So before we dive into your film, can we set the scene for your doc documentary a little bit? What time period is Cher living in for our listeners? And what was her work and research? And what was life like for women? So Cher Height um, is this, you know, it was this extraordinary creature who um, had gone to graduate school in Florida in the 60s and then came to New York and became a model, um, was living in uh, quite poverty, actually, in the, the late 60s, but managed to be like one of the most glamorous people in New York City anyway, um, decorated her rat infested apartment in this beautiful manner and um, and and applied to a program in um intellectual history at uh, Columbia University. Um, and when um, basically sexism and classism kind of pushed her out of academia, she got involved in the women's movement and started, um, had this idea of developing a survey about female sexuality and, um, and started this like crazy, amazing grassroots project um, to uncover what women's sex lives were really like because women in that era were 
really pushed into a very, very narrow addition, a narrow kind of um, vision that society had for how women should behave and act. And sex was really defined as just um, intercourse, male orgasm, supposed female orgasm, and that was it. Mm -hmm. um, so Cher and her comrades in the women's movement decided to investigate what women's experiences actually were. And it was kind of that simple, but that radical, you know, she set her bout on a motorcycle delivering surveys all over the city and later mailed them all over the country. And she got 3000 responses back from women to her over 100 questions about the most intimate details of their lives. Right. Yeah. I love the idea of the questionnaire because at first it really is such a grassroots thing that she's doing. I love the photo of her on the motorcycle running around <laughs> town, just trying to get as many answers as possible. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the questionnaire? You know, what kinds of questions were on there? What questions maybe surprised you that were on there? <laughs> um, and what was she learning about the sex life of the American woman besides just the general existence of the clitoris? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she was, you know, the, the thing that kind of like dropped, dropped like a bomb when the book came out was that most women didn't orgasm from vaginal penetration, but that most women did masturbate and they had orgasms from clitoral stimulation. And so Shara thought that was this wonderful thing that was going to, you know, kind of liberate uh, women and men to incorporate um, that into uh, lovemaking and, um, and give everybody more pleasure. Um, but there were the the questionnaire was really um, deep and profound. And I think the thing that surprised me the most that she was asked, well, she was asking a lot about um, not just heterosexuality, but she was asking people, you know, do you prefer to have sex with a man or a woman or neither, you know? Um, and she, she acknowledged that people would have different experiences according to age. Um, she acknowledged that not everybody probably was sexual. And her questions were so empathetic and imagining of such a broad diversity of types of experiences that I think she got responses that reflected the diversity of experiences of women in the country, you know? And, um, you know, later on, she was criticized a lot for the, her, you know, her, the bias of her questions. But I, I personally feel like she had a a way of asking questions that engendered a kind of response that almost feels contemporary with today. You know, she really looked at gender as a construct. She asked a lot of questions about, um, you know, how femininity, for example, impacted women. You know, did they feel like they had to be feminine? What did femininity mean to them? Things like that, that really showed that she was, you know, she was looking at gender roles in a way that was really far ahead of her time. So, um, but yeah, then they were intimate questions and they were um, playful and fun. And she, you know, designed them with artistry and and wrote little, you know, drew little flowers and arrows and things on them. So people would feel like she had a personal connection to them. And she encouraged women to draw pictures, you know, back in response. Um, so the picture was, uh, you know, not, not just, um, data and not just biology. It was, it was really cultural and it went and intimate. And I think when you read the book, you have the feeling. And I remember this from when I read it, when I was 12, actually, I, I still remember that feeling of kind of like, it was like hearing a chorus of like aunties in my head being like, this is what is really happening out there. You know, <laughs> this, 
this is, <laughs> this is what women are really feeling. And um, it, it was it was beautiful. And so I think in the film, we tried really hard to give you that visceral experience of hearing those voices like Cher would have heard them and um, and like women did who read the book. And so that, you know, then it becomes even more disturbing that something like that would trigger such a furious backlash as it did. Yeah, I think the documentary does a wonderful job with the juxtaposition because it goes from the narration reading what some of these women put on the survey directly into her being openly criticized in public um, by both men and women. Um, and it was just this, all of a sudden, it was like a pumping of the brakes. Like what these women were saying is just, it sounded like they were talking like they were from today, but outwardly sex was so taboo to talk about that people were like viscerally angry at her. What kind of backlash did she get? She got a lot of different kinds of backlash, but she got a lot of backlash. Um, I mean, first of all, I think there was um, the backlash that came from the fact that she was, you know, challenging sex as kind of a domain of men where men had this really important role, which is they were like the deliverer of the orgasm, you know, and women needed them for that. And um, even though that's not at all what she was saying is that men weren't needed. She was just saying like, you know, many women who like to have sex with men would would prefer to have an orgasm and they're not getting it in that particular way. But it's not that there was no no alternative, you know, but that's how men responded. Um, it was a it was a status, I think, and a and a um a position of power that was being challenged and attacked. Um, and they felt like like um something was being taken away from them, you know, that they had thought they had this this sort of special job or role, I think. Um, so she got a lot, uh, uh, she was accused of being a man hater, a man basher. Um, I think it was exacerbated a lot because she was an incredibly, um, attractive, conventionally attractive, you know, woman, and she dressed in a kind of hyper feminine and, and really, um, spectacular style and, um, and kind of fully owned her own sexuality in so doing, which is another way I think she feels very contemporary to today, you know? Um, but I think there was this extra edge of kind of like, oh my God, this woman who is, you know, like an object to us is actually telling us, you know, that we're not doing something right, or we're doing something wrong, or we're not necessary to the situation. And um, it was it was too much for for people to take. Um, so they just started going after her. Yeah, you know, directly, I mean, you know, attacking what she wore and what she looked like, and the fact that she had modeled nude earlier in her life and, and tearing her down personally. Um, and then later, they started attacking her methodology, too. Mm -hmm. And then it's interesting because she writes kind of a sequel to the book about male sexuality. And it seemed like then men had this whole other thing to hate her for because she was kind of exposing the fact that a lot of men were having emotional issues and they weren't able to talk about them. Uh, what else was she exposing in the second book that, you know, were either making people feel heard or threatened? Yeah, I mean, it's basically like, the male experience of patriarchy, you know, mm -hmm. which, which even today we we get at very little, you know, I think in terms of framing our conversation and she, she went right there, you know, she was like, what, you know, what did you learn? What did your father teach you about how to be a man? 
you know, uh, do you feel like you have access to your own emotions? Are there people you can talk to? And the answers that came back were very sad. Um, and so in, in effect, she was in, informing men that this thing that they prized and didn't want to let go of was actually something that was harming them too, you know? Um, and, uh, and I think that was really a bridge too far. So at what point did it become clear that her having to be this constant spokesperson for sex was too much for her? Like, at what point was she was like, I'm done with this. I, I really don't want to do this anymore. Well, one of the things that we're sort of historically speaking, or we're charting, you know, as we turn from the seventies to the eighties and she comes, she comes out with a third book, which is about women in love and their relationships. And, you know, the big headline from that was that many women were not happy in, in their marriages and many of them were having affairs. And, um, maybe that was like the final blow from a certain male point of view. And I just want to say like many men loved the books, Mm -hmm. you know, generations of, of young men are, are now older and coming up to me at screenings of this film and telling me how the hype report changed their life and, and has improved their relationships. And they're so grateful to share because it gave men a glimpse into, you know, the, 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 these, these worlds as well. Um, And I think for men who enjoyed reading her, her men's book, they didn't feel alone, you know, the same way women who read the original height report didn't feel alone. So, um, so I don't want to talk about, you know, men as a monolith too much. Um, In fact, I think if you watch the film, you'll see there's like extraordinary allies and fantastic men throughout it. Um, But, uh, but I think, um, you know, what's also happening is the rise of the religious right um the the rise of gotcha television and, and these kinds of shows where they sort of set you up to attack you or create some kind of spectacle and that was happening partially because of media consolidation there were all of these different kind of things which were um you know uh at least in the case of the religious right and the backlash to feminism you know kind of set in motion long before but were getting worse and worse as time went on and um and so the attacks against her um got to the point where she was getting death threats on her answering machine and feeling afraid for her life. And um, nobody wanted to publish her work anymore. It was a kind of a vicious cycle. You know, she would go on a show, get attacked, act out because she was attacked. Then, then there would be more media about her erratic behavior. And um, it was kind of a spiral down that she couldn't get out of. And, um, and she had married a young German concert pianist, um, you know, in the latter part of her time in the U S and I think, I think she just thought, um, you know, she couldn't make a go of it in this country anymore. It wasn't it wasn't the place for her. And I think she also wanted to to protest, you know, the repressive culture that she was experiencing in the United States and, um, you know, by by leaving. So she kind of self-exiled to Europe. um, Yeah. At the end of the 1980s. And your film is called The Disappearance of Cher Height. And. It kind of feels to me like at first when I saw the trailer, I actually saw the trailer for this weeks ago and I put her on the list for us to do on the podcast. And then we got this email. So that was pretty crazy. (laughs) That's so great. (laughs) So I was like, wow, like, I wonder what happened is like, is it an Agatha Christie thing? And then I was, I was, I was watching the documentary and I was like, oh, like she kind of took herself out of the situation. Mm -hmm. And then she disappeared from like the social rhetoric, like, a really meaningful part was like when all these women who were around her and these 
iconic feminists were like, how have young feminists never heard of share height? Like that was just so crazy to them. So I would love to know, how did you come across Cher? Like you said, I think you said you read her book when she was like, when you were 12 years old. So have you been thinking about her for a long time? Like, were you surprised that people had never heard of her? Yeah, I was actually. I mean, I did, I, I snuck the book out of like the, the you know, my mother's bedside chest where she would hide things from me. <laughs> and so of course, that's like exactly where I would go look. Um and it was wonderful. It was just like this wonderful experience, like I, I said before. And so, so be, I, because I learned so much from it, I thought about it a lot throughout my life. I would, I would remember it, you know, I'd be like a friend would tell me something that was going on with her. And I'd think, oh yeah, yeah. I remember there was a woman who talked about that in the height report or something would happen to me. And I think like, well, at least I know I'm not crazy. I know all these other women, you know, <laughs> experience something like that too. So I sort of was, um, perpetually grateful to her. And so then I, I read this New York Times obituary and the headline when she passed away in 2020. And the headline was um, share height. She explained how women orgasm and she was hated for it. And it just stopped me in my tracks. You know, I thought like, my God, like this person who so I knew she had so profoundly changed the lives of so many people and really shaped our culture. And I couldn't believe that she was hated for it. And, and then, you know, as I started kind of thinking about the story and exploring it, it became pretty clear that um, she had disappeared from view. And unbeknownst to me, there was a younger producer, this woman, Erica Fink at NBC News Studios, who was in tasked with developing new film ideas out of NBC's archive. And, um, and she had read the same obituary and thought and read about what Cher did in the obituary and, and thought, you know, why the hell haven't I ever heard of her? Like I took women's studies classes in college, you know, I'm, I'm an educated person. What's going on here? So then she went into the archive and she typed in Cher's name and this like massive volume of archival material came up. Like she typed in princess Diana or something, you know? Yeah. So she, <laughs> she was like, wow, there's something really going on here. And then we happened to have this fortunate kind of coming together where I heard they were working on the project and they, at the same time as they were reaching out to me to see if I'd be interested in working with them. And so, um, so it was it was fantastic. And we really had this kind of multi-generational, you know, team of women in the edit room and in, on the producing side. And we were all rediscovering her together. You know, we first started looking at footage of her and thinking, oh, she's a little cold and weird, you know, <laughs> because we were looking at footage of her while she was being attacked. But we hadn't really like revealed the whole story. And then we started going through all of her archival material at Harvard and reading all of her writings and speaking with her friends and kind of slowly, you know, it's like this fully human, fully realized picture started coming into view. And I, I will confess that we all kind of fell in love with her, you know? Mm -hmm. And what kind of conversations are you hoping to start now that this documentary is out for the world? Well, I think, I think there are conversations that urgently need to be started, you know? I mean, I think, um, for instance, um, it's been really fantastic to me to see that the film is really um, resonating with um, audiences, like a lot of queer audiences. Um, there, we had a um, we had a trans woman uh, director of photography working on the film, and 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 we worked really closely together. And I I was kind of constantly learning from her about like um, you know her particular 
lens and response to um, share and how she thought about gender and how she dressed and how she expressed herself and and how brave that was for her, you know, um, in, in, in that time period and all of that. So I think, I think her conversation, her, her way of looking at gender is, is one that's really, really useful because I think it issues around gender are, are kind of like issues around women's rights and that they just, they, you know, they'll find expression and then they'll get, you know, pushed under and, and, and we forget about all those people who made progress and, and whatnot. So that's really important. Obviously, I think the um, the issue of uh, women's right to pleasure and bodily autonomy couldn't be more urgent than it is now. Um, but I also think just recognizing this kind of cycle of how women, iconoclastic women with ideas about changing the world for the better, especially towards, you know, more equality for women, um, get attacked and buried and their ideas forgotten is I think it's an important thing to discuss because then I think you can start to see it happening around you because a lot of times um it's hard to see that full narrative thread you know of how that happens but um I was pointed to this amazing book by an Australian feminist named Dale Spender called Women of Ideas and What Men Have Done to Them <laughs> which is a pretty <laughs> awesome title and it's like this really moving and sad almost encyclopedia of all of these women throughout history um you know who did extraordinary things that kind of challenged norms and uh and kind of how they were kind of personally attacked and then forgotten mm -hmm. so i hope we can start conversations about that too yeah while you were getting to know Cher through the archival footage and through researching her and reading her words was there one question that you constantly wanted to ask her if you had gotten the chance or did it change a lot while you were doing the project? Oh, there were so many. I'm like thinking of five or six. There's a big question. <laughs> I mean, I wanted to, I, I did want to know like more about when she actually left, you know, when she, when she had like the weeks or month or whatever that she made the decision to leave and how it actually happened. I know that her her dog Rusty, who's kind of a character in the film and who was like her very very dear companion, passed away right around that time. So I have a feeling that that might have had, you know, something to do with it. But there were lots of different emotional emotional things like that that I was really longing to ask her. I wanted to ask her tons of questions about, um, you know, her uh, her fashion. To be honest with you, like I was obsessed with her. <laughs> with her clothes and and her the choices she made and her connection to the to the past and I know she went thrifting all the time and um you know uh her love of opera and music I wanted to know more about um more about all of those things because every little detail that we got from her friends about you know Rachmaninoff concertos being her favorite or um you know these were the six colors that she liked the most all those things we we poured into the film you know um to try to try to you know beat back that kind of two-dimensional caricature that um she was sort of left with in history and and uh and and, and bring her back to like a, a fully realized woman yeah mm -hmm. 
I mean, I just want to say that I was very touched by this film, the the narration, the videography, like the choices that were made, the interviews, it was really touching. Like there were things I was writing down, like little quotes in yeah. my little sparklet book. I was like, oh, I want to remember that. <laughs> so we're just, we're so grateful for you for making this so more people can know about Cher. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. I love the name of your podcast and oh, um, I was super excited to talk to you. <laughs> thank um, you for doing so Thanks. Took a lot of debate to get yeah. there. <laughs> I was looking at my schedule and I was like, woo, this is going to be fun. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. We hope this was okay. This is our first documentary that we've ever interviewed someone about. Yeah. We're usually doing books, um, lots books, of books. So. <laughs> So I kept having to change cool. film. Uh, <laughs> so can you tell our listeners where they can find you and your other work? Yeah, so you can learn more about the film or at least like see where to find it. Um, IFC Films is distributing the film and they have um, a website called called shareheightdoc.com that they've put together that'll lead you to theaters where you can see the film. Um, and you can... Um, find out you can follow me on instagram at, at nicole newnham um and you can find lots of information about my previous documentary historical documentary which i co-directed which was called crip camp um you know online um yeah but um if you want to follow my future work instagram is probably the best place to do it perfect, perfect. well thank you again we hope everybody goes out to see it it is a lush eclectic beautiful documentary that actually ends on like what I think is a beautifully positive note. So I don't want people to get but it is gorgeous. Um so thank you again for coming on. This is great. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah. Great to talk with you both. listening to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye